0: Yeah, that's what, one thing about shed hunting. And for the most part, you kind of get out of what you put into it. And yeah. that's something that makes it a lot of fun. The more time and effort, you know, boot leather you put into it, the more sheds you generally find at the end of the day, as long as you do it in a smart way.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and this week we'll be talking with deer biologist and avid shed hunter and our first repeat guest, Mariah Bogus. And when it comes to shed hunting, I don't know anyone as dedicated to the craft as Mariah. He spends countless hours every winter hunting for shed antlers, and not only in his home state of North Carolina, but uh, really across the country. And he does these these really cool shed hunting road trips that we're going to dive into. And uh, th- this one's going to have you guys wanting to hop in your truck and, and head to new places in search of, of shed antlers, I can tell you that. So you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that conversation. Before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by a longtime NDA sponsor, Renews Outdoor Equipment, makers of the Ferminator food plot implement. Uh, the Ferminator is, man, it is a a rugged professional grade, all-in-one food plot implement. Uh, it has adjustable discs to break the soil, a seed hopper to, to drop the seed at a set rate, as well as a cultivator uh, built onto the back of it to, to pack the seed into the soil, m- making it possible to, to complete the entire planting process in a single pass. So uh, if you want to take your food plot planting to the next level, be sure to check out the Furminator at Theferminator.com. Uh Now before we jump on the phone with Mariah There are a few things going on right now At the National Deer Association That that may be of interest to you uh, First off we still have a handful Of the, those special NDA Onyx Elite memberships left uh, But those are going fast If you didn't hear about them on the last episode uh, What we've done is combined An, an NDA annual membership an NDA cap, and an Onyx Elite membership, uh, which covers all 50 states, for a total of $99. So that's a $160 value, and you're going to get it for just $99. If you're already uh, an NDA member, that's okay. We'll tack that extra year onto the end of your membership. Same thing, if you're already Onyx Elite member, uh, they can tack that on and and extend your membership as well. So don't, don't let that stop you. Uh, But we only have, again, a handful of these left. So if you want one, uh, you better go ahead and take advantage of that at DeerAssociation.com slash OnX. We've also recently kicked off our latest fundraiser, the NDA Browning Sweepstakes. So as the name implies there, we're going to be giving away a few Browning rifles, including a grand prize Browning X-Bolt medallion in 6.5 Creedmoor. And we also have, uh, for two additional winners, a Browning A-Bolt three Composite Stalker, also in six and a half Creedmoor. So if you, if you need a new hunting rifle, uh, be sure to get get in on that, our NDA Browning sweepstakes. Uh, and you can do that at deerassociation.com slash browning. And then one last thing before we get Mariah on the phone. Uh, on our other podcast, the Coffee and Deer podcast, uh, which is hosted by our president and CEO, Nick Penizzato, uh, and his friend, Mike Grohman. Uh, they have a segment on there called Ask NDA Anything, where you guys can submit questions uh, to be answered on that show, whether it's about the NDA, uh, our programs, or how we operate. It can be about deer biology or habitat, wh- whatever you have on your mind You can send your questions in, and and Nick and Mike will try to tackle as many of those as they can on each episode. Uh, You can send those questions in either through the contact page of our website, so you can go to deerassociation.com, scroll down to the bottom, and and look for that Contact Us link, or you can do it through any of our NDA social media accounts as well, and we'll try to to get those answered for you. Uh, Just make sure you're subscribed to the Coffee and Deer podcast so you can hear uh, you can hear Nick and Mike answer those questions for you. And guys, I think with that, uh, we'll go ahead and jump on the phone here with Mariah Bogus to talk about shed hunting and these cool shed hunting road trips. Hey, Mariah, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you? I oh, doing well, doing well. My mind is consumed by
0: sheds at the moment. Uh, besides work, that's pretty much all I'm thinking about. So I'm uh, this is actually very timeless something i'd love to talk about any time of year but right now i mean it's it is it's uh beginning of february so it's time to look for some sheds
1: yeah yep yeah, absolutely hey i i appreciate you taking time out to talk with us and be our uh our first repeat guest on the show here now um, there we that, go That that doesn't really come with any perks but congratulations anyway <laughs> <laughs> if it oh, if it but, means that like there's some good juju out there that i find a shed then it, there's there the you pray. go maybe it'll work <laughs> out for you that way Then, yeah. but no i do i do appreciate you taking time uh, out of your work day to, to talk shed hunting with us uh I, i'll be honest I, I was a little hesitant to have a repeat guest this this early in the kind of the life of the podcast but uh you know the truth is, I don't know anybody I could have brought on who invests more time and effort into shed hunting than you do, so uh, I figured you know why not? you'd be the the perfect guest for this one. Well, I appreciate
0: it. you don't know how much of an honor it is to hear that uh that shed crazy because that is honestly <laughs> the my mindset is like just uh I know a few people that I would classify as probably just as much, if not more avid of shed hunters. Uh, simply because
1: I have a little bit more time to do it, but yeah, you know, I'm honored to be here and talking sheds. Well, I guess the, the best way to, to kick this thing off is uh, tell us how you, you know, this, the shed hunting addiction began. Oh, you know, the
0: the, the crazy thing about this is um, I grew up in a, a household that didn't hunt. I really didn't have anyone around me who hunted uh, very little influence in the outdoors other than fishing. And at a young age, I want to say I was probably 9 or 10, um, I actually randomly found a shed antler. It was, now that I know a little bit more, it was a year old. It was was probably at least a year old. It was what we call a hard white shed uh, and a pretty good one for northwestern North Carolina. um, Close to fifty inch shed, just laying out in the middle of a a cattle pasture um, near a tree. And, you know, as a kid, I mean, I couldn't help but notice this antler laying there. Uh, and of course not having a background in deer biology or hunting or anything of the sort, uh, it raised a lot of questions to, to 10 year old me. And that kind of led me down this path of wanting to learn more about deer. And I started shed hunting and eventually that led to, to hunting. And I was the first in my family to pick that up and kind of self-taught there. Definitely f- self-taught for the most part was shed hunting. Um, so the reason I'm into shed hunting is because that's pretty much what got me into, uh, into wildlife management got me into to deer hunting got me into everything deer so it's like pretty much my first love when it comes <laughs> to the
1: outdoors is shed hunting I cannot ignore it yeah I, I can't believe really as much time as I spent in the woods with the as a kid running around that I don't ever remember finding a shed antler you know I didn't know to look for them but uh I don't ever remember finding one if I did if I knew I could be out there you know looking for for deer antlers like easter eggs well I, I, my parents would have never got me out of the woods probably <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh so if you if you absolutely had to choose between actually deer hunting and shed hunting uh h- how tough of a choice would that be uh it would be a tough one but I know which
0: way I would lean <laughs> it would be towards <laughs> the sheds as much as I hate to say that but uh Man, there's just so many pros to shed hunting. Uh, when you compare the two, as far as time investment, um, in, in the ability to explore, I love the fact that there's like just a bottomless pit of shed. Hunting. Like essentially, as long as there are antlers on the ground and it's not super green outside, the green you know, spring green up hasn't hit too hard. I can do it as much as I want. It, there's no no season, at least in the Eastern U.S. And I right. just love that. It's like endless opportunity to to go and explore
1: and learn about deer yeah yeah i'm I'm right there with you because I, I love to explore it's one of the reasons i love public land hunting so much is just because you know there's so much so much room to get out there and explore you know you're always uh looking for what's around the next next bend or or what's over the next hill so that's right I, I definitely understand that appeal so when do you it's uh like you said it's early february as as we uh, record this when do you traditionally start looking have you had had any luck yet or yeah
0: uh I usually start looking as soon as deer season ends. In fact, as deer season is starting to wind down, my mind has already shifted towards shed. So (laughs) uh, here in North Carolina, deer season ends right at the end of December. Essentially with the new year, kind of start poking around, thinking about where I'm going to shed hunt. Uh, And I've spent the last three to four weeks, uh, you could say I've been shed hunting, spent a lot of time in the woods, but really my biggest priority has been kind of doing some what I would call shed scouting or at least scouting deer for late season patterns to figure out where they are and trying to pinpoint some bachelor groups of bucks, um, just so that I kind of have a leg up whenever the sheds do start dropping, I know where to look. So I usually start that as soon as I can. So January, I'm usually in the woods quite a bit in January, running a lot of trail cameras, more so than really ever um, on food sources and such but trying to pinpoint where those deer are uh, and hopefully finding some sheds in the mix. So so far I found four old ones, uh, nothing fresh so far, but uh, that should change here pretty soon because I'm starting to get pictures of
1: quite a few deer <laughs> dropping. So that, uh, okay. The uh, it, yeah. Excitement is starting to skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was kind of my next question. I was going to ask if if you run trail cameras to kind of get a, get an idea of when they are, when they're dropping. So I guess at at what point from your trail camera data or surveillance do you decide okay it's time to get out there? Is, I mean you kind of wait for most of them to have dropped their antlers or is, is you have any kind of guideline there? Or? Yeah, well it kind of depends to me um, with where
0: I'm walking. Uh, if it's specifically on public land where I anticipate there may be other shed hunting pressure. Whenever they start dropping, I'll start routinely checking the area, um, particularly if you have like food plots or some kind of concentrated food source that's going to catch a lot of people's eyes. Um, those places are just tough. Even if there's a lot of sheds there, they're tough because people want to hit them. So when sheds start dropping, I'll start checking those. The other ones, like uh, if if there's some, say, uh, you know, a forest stand where maybe there's an old field on the edge of a forest or something, and I know there's some bucks used in that area it's a little bit less obvious of a spot and I don't suspect other pressure. I will wait until pretty much all the deer that I'm really interested in finding sheds from have dropped. So most of the large antler deer where I feel like I could actually find the shed have dropped. If there's still a couple spikes and forkies around holding, I don't really wait for them. Um, I want to find those sheds just as much as the other ones, but they're just they're that much tougher to find. So I don't really, I'm not going to hold out. Um, so right, right now... Uh, One property that I've got cameras, we probably of all the mature deer, I would say based on yesterday's camera poll, probably 50 to 75 percent of them have shed from what I can tell. So I'm going to start hitting that spot Um, and of course, other properties around might vary quite a bit in in the shed drop, but uh, I'll start poking around more and more because of that. But cameras are super valuable, if nothing else, just to find out where those deer
1: are and see which spots are worth the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see a lot of variance just between individual properties on, on when those deer are shedding their antlers? I mean, do some properties seem to the deer just seem to drop their antlers earlier than others?
0: I feel like I have, you know, of course, very anecdotal evidence, but um, I seem to, you know, sometimes, so if, say you have a bachelor group of bucks, like five or six. Once in a while, you'll have a buck that'll just drop super early or you'll have one that'll hold on super late. There's, there's always variation within a group, but I've also noticed over the years several times where there's a certain bachelor group and most of them will shed early compared to another group, you know, and, and vice versa. Um, and I think a lot of that probably does have to do with more of the, the property differences between the two or the, the habitat quality differences and relative stress on the deer. But yeah, the, early in the season, I pay a lot more attention to where I think there's sheds on the ground. And then as we get later and later, it's more of just whatever I have the best feeling about, you know, uh, wherever there's a deer that I'm still trying to find the sheds from and, you know, things like factors like that.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I know now this is going to be anecdotal as well, but do you notice any correlation kind of between the timing of when larger antler, larger antler bucks are, are casting their antlers as opposed to smaller antler bucks? I mean, do do one seem to drop earlier than the other, or is it just pretty random? So um, I've I've actually read some
0: publications that tend to lean toward older deer dropping their antlers earlier, um, and then I've also seen evidence of the opposite, um, just more as a, a note kind of in a paper. So there's been you know as, as far as scientific literature goes, very mixed results. I, I believe when it comes to that, and you know when we. Think about antler shedding. There's a lot of variables, a lot of environmental variables, and even um, individual variables that can affect when they shed. So, I think that kind of blurs the line between the bigger versus smaller. Um, but ultimately, I, I think there is a little bit of evidence to to say that older deer might drop sooner than younger deer. But when I'm out shed hunting, it's I think there's just so much noise in that data that it's it's pretty hard <laughs> to to say one way or the other. Uh, I can say right now. What I've noticed on my cameras is mostly the bigger deer that have dropped. But at the same time, when an antlerless deer walks by a camera and I look at the tarsals to see how much staining there is, and you know, to at a blur or at a distance confirm it actually is a shed buck, um, it's a lot easier for me to tell that from a an adult, you know, mature buck versus a younger deer, right? Blended yeah. in with those. So I think it's I think there's it's kind of messy data to start with. <laughs>
1: That made me think, this is kind of a, a side note, but what you're talking about research and, and data, I was trying to think about this earlier, and, and I meant to, actually meant to look it up before we got on here. But there, I remember there was a, a research, we were talking about the Southeast Deer Study Group meeting earlier, there was some research prevented a few years back, and I can't remember if it was Auburn or Mississippi State, where they actually like went in and collected sheds from a, their fenced deer pen and it was like showing results of like actually the percentage of antlers they found by right. gritting this thing, you know, it, people walking literally feet apart and gritting these, and it was there was a, a significant number of antlers that they were still not finding doing that. Do you, you remember what I'm talking about? Or
0: yeah, I do. It was a student out of Auburn, and he he presented uh, essentially search search time necessary to find antlers and the relationship between size and whether or not an antler was found, and then the number of antlers uh, not picked up. And and I don't want to go into numbers because I I don't want to butcher his data. I don't think I remember <laughs> yeah, it exactly the same right. Way. <laughs> but I remember walking away from that, scratching my head and saying, well, you know, I really thought that I was decent, uh, but this, and this is a very controlled environment where they have uh, a large research facility. You know, it's basically a fenced in forest with fields. And they walked this whole area where they know these deer have to be, they walked it in a grid. And I think it was maybe a 10 meter grid or something like that between between individuals. And there was still
1: a very large proportion of sheds that were missed. So Yeah. Yeah, that's what I walked away with. I'm like, man, if if they're missing that many in that control of environment, just just think really how fortunate you are to find the ones you do. Um yeah. out there, out there in the wild. So yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I was thinking about. This kind of similar thing just the other day, walking
0: through the woods about how um, a lot of sheds, you know, uh, there are other people in the woods picking up sheds and that is direct competition and they pick up sheds. But at the end of the day, if I were just a little bit better shed hunter, I could find the ones (laughs) that aren't obvious and it wouldn't be as big of a deal Um, that therein lies the challenge. I think I think there's a small proportion of sheds that are very easy to find. And those are the ones that are
1: found every year. So what, what's your strategy, I guess, approaching a, a property to shed hunt? Now, you, you've talked about kind of your, your pre-strategy, your running cameras to kind of find these deer and, and see when the antlers are starting to drop. Um, what's, what's kind of, the, how do you approach it once you get out there, boots on the ground?
0: I would say right now, my strategy always starts with food. In the past I would have answered that very differently, but in the past I didn't find as many. So, I just switched things up, but I used to always start with cover, and I was very tuned into uh old fields and young forest region and look, so looking for pockets of very thick cover. And it really wasn't working out that super well for me. So, at some point in the last 3 or 4 years, I really shifted to just starting with food. And there's a flaw that you know, there's a challenge that comes with that. So, naturally if you find the food, that's where the deer are going to be in winter. The deer are very tuned into the available food source. And because of that, it's pretty easy to pattern deer this time of year, like I do with the cameras. Um and it's also easy to tell just from sign where deer are concentrated. At the same time, what comes along with that is there's a whole lot of other people, I mean depending on where you're shed hunting, there can be a lot of other people also looking in the food. So I don't necessarily just Looking food for sheds, but I use it as that starting point because if you look at the landscape, let's take a public area, for instance, and you have a few thousand acres, if you could just start walking that few thousand acres and you would be walking for days or weeks. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, even if we gridded it, like we just talked about, we're still going to miss a lot of sheds. So you have to put, do something to put your eyes in, in, in your favor in winter deer are very concentrated around th- those food sources, but of course they don't spend all day in them. They spend a lot of time in bedding areas. A lot of times, you know, they spend time between bedding areas and that food, whether they're traveling um, or even when deer are concentrated on on a winter food source, like let's say a corn field or winter wheat field. They're not just consuming 100% winter wheat or corn. Um, and this has been bared out by several different research studies looking at fecal pellets and stomach contents of deer is that even when they're highly concentrated on one food source, or so it seems, they're still picking around and eating other things to meet their nutritional needs because that one food is, is more than likely not going to supply everything they need. So the deer are the point is the deer are spending a lot of time in between bedding in that food. And that lot of time where they're loafing and uh, maybe they bed down for a little bit and they they browse on some woody vegetation or or leaves. That's all time where they could drop sheds. So the way I approach it is, we start with that food. We figure out where there are deer based off that sign, and if I'm lucky enough to find a shed in that the initial food source, it's really obvious. All the better. But then I work out from there, try to find um, areas where I think those deer are bedding. Now, of course, look in those bedding areas, uh, but then other spots in the forest that look like they they are providing some type of food that the deer don't necessarily have everywhere. So maybe that's uh, woody. Or, or sorry, the, the twig ends and buds of woody vegetation. So, so browse, um, even ferns, something I've noticed in the last year or two, Christmas ferns specifically, uh, a lot of instances where deer are browsing that in late winter. Um, in fact, last year, I actually found a shed right in the middle of a pine stand where there's a bunch of Christmas fern underneath these pines. And I had realized the deer were consuming it. You can see where they've been browsing on this Christmas fern. Um, I actually found a dead buck, looked through his room, and it was full of Christmas fern leaves, which really just confirmed what I needed to to look for. So anyway, I spent more time on that hillside, eventually found a shed there. And that all started because there was a cornfield nearby with a lot of deer sun in it, but it it was covered in boot tracks. So I immediately just kind of abandoned the corn, started looking elsewhere, found the Christmas fern, connected the dots and. Um, but the the starting point being that food, I think is really beneficial to making sure you're in an area, first off, where there's a bachelor group, because if there's not bucks to drop antlers, there's not going to be any antlers to find, of course.
1: Yeah. Now I know you like, you like hunting, uh, late season, those, uh, uh, mass species, red oak species, particularly, um, do you have any luck finding sheds and around red oak stands or is that pretty much played out by, by this time of year? It's a, it's a little bit
0: of both. I would say that, um, I actually, I would say that, uh, if we looked at sheds per mile walked, it goes way down when I'm when I I'm walking. <laughs> oaks. And I think a lot of that is because it's really easy to miss a shed, uh, in Oak leaf litter. So they're automatically from the beginning, yeah. a lot tougher to find. I found a handful. Um, some of them in spots adjacent to Oaks that were, that had feeding sign on them. Others right underneath oaks where deer have been feeding and they'd obviously been dropped while a, a deer was feeding there. But um, of course, again, when you're dealing with oaks across the forest, there can be a lot of trees providing food or at least some amount of food. So if they spend time underneath a couple of those trees all night and, and kind of meander through the forest um, and maybe they eat under 20 or 30 different trees, depending on, of course, how concentrated that food is, can make it a lot tougher too. Right, find yep. a shed under there. But I, I look and I, and I find sheds. But I think the biggest drawback, honestly, is, is just seeing a shed in it. And then also in those spots, the squirrels tend to chew them a lot quicker. So um, you're pretty much just looking for fresh sheds. And even those, I tend to find chewed up
1: when they're in those spots. <laughs> so okay, a lot of your focus in is on on the food sources, and you're specifically talking about. Sounds like agricultural type fields food plots that kind of stuff open areas right and when you do kind of stray from there or maybe you know go from from that food source towards a bedding area or something are you are you working any kind of grid pattern or are you just following the trails or kind of what how you how you doing that
0: i walk aimlessly like i'm just Okay, you know a puppy exploring the forest or so it's something not just it's not yeah. just me then. that's good <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to think when I first got into it, I used to think that that was the way to do it. you know, you had to grid the forest and then um no, now what I do is I pretty much just kind of walk through the woods, and this is what I love about shed hunting is i i for whatever amount of time I have, maybe I have four hours, two hours, I can do whatever I want during that time. I can walk wherever I want so i I generally if I'm You know, walking through the woods, I might have an endpoint in mind that I'm curious to check out and see if there's sign there. But if I see something that catches my eye, I've I've made up my mind at this point. uh, You know, in in shed hunting, that if anything ever, if there's ever a gut feeling, if there's ever any, just little on a whim, I'm like, oh, I should go check that out. To always tell myself, self, yes, and do it, (laughs) because so many times I've done that and popped over the next ridge or around the next corner. And then suddenly you just, you hit a wall of deer sign or, you know, something where it's like, okay, this is where the deer are. This is where I need to be. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I really greatly dislike walking in a grid because I, I've done it in numerous occasions when there's a particular antler I'm trying to find and it rarely, I don't know if it's
1: ever worked for me and it's just, it's not fun. So <laughs> I don't do it. Okay. Well, I'm glad no, it wasn't just me. Cause yeah, I'm the same way. Sometimes I'll, I'll start out with the intention of kind of gritting a, a, a bedding area. I, I do a lot of, I try to hit a lot of bedding areas, mainly looking for certain bucks on the public lands that, that I've seen during the season and stuff. But, uh, I, I just can't help myself. You'll hit a good trail and, and I just have to follow it, you know, I'll follow it yeah. a ways and then it crosses another trail and, you know, your next thing, you know, you're just, you're all over the place, but do you now one thing I do when I'm when I'm doing that and, and I'm interested to hear if you do as well. Do you use any kind of uh, mapping app to kind of track your movement when you're doing that and, and maybe go back and fill in some of the gaps or. I do. Yeah. So generally,
0: um, like on if I'm on Onyx, I'll uh, I'll start a track when I'm in a new spot. I think it's helpful for me <clears throat> It's helpful if I need to reference it again. A lot of the time, I don't use it. Uh, I just kind of go off of that gut feeling walk, and I and I could pretty much tell you where I've walked by the end of it by looking at the map, even without the track. But then, what ends up happening is if I walk into a good spot and I find a shed or I find two sheds, if I'm in a good area where it all looks good, I will work it more methodically. So, for instance, um, like an old field where there's enough cover and vegetation where you can't see more than like maybe 10 or 20 yards and it's big enough, maybe 10, 15, 20 acres where it's hard to keep up with where you're at in it. At that point, a track becomes very useful. Um, But only as long as the sign is really good in there. Like I won't keep following and gritting out an area if the sign falls apart and there's just no evidence of deer there. I don't have confidence in it. Um, but I do use that, you know, the ability to track for walking woods sometimes, again, if there's really good sign. And then food, food sources, if especially in like an old grown up ag field, like if there's a, a field that hasn't been planted in a year, there's some cool season forbs like basil rosettes of, of Forbes growing out there. The deer will eat. Uh, there's leftover grain if it was just a weedy field that was left or anything essentially where there's a, a field where there's enough visual cover or obstruction that you have to walk in on a pretty close grid. If I'm seeing sign and I'm, or I find sheds, I will walk a field, a food source. And I do, again, I'll use that line just to be able to keep up with where I've been. And it's, it's really useful for
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you brought up a great point there. And one, I I guess I really hadn't thought about much, you know, I, I kind of preach during deer season to always be doing, you know, that in-season scouting and looking for that most recent sign. But really, I mean, you need to be, like you mentioned there, you need to be doing the same thing when you're shed hunting. If, if there's not fresh deer sign in there, the deer aren't in there, so their antlers probably aren't in there either. So that's that's a yeah. great point that, like I said, I've just never really thought about when shed hunting. It's It's crazy,
0: too, how often that fresh sign will lead you to an old shed, like a year-old shed. Because it must be an area that they routinely use that time of year and they, you know, they they shed their last year, they'll probably shed again this year. Um, And that's something that I really grew an appreciation for going out west and shed hunting for elk because I didn't understand where to look for animals. And what would end up happening is we would always go about a month after antlers had dropped. Because that's just when we had time. And when you're out there and you're looking at sign, you're actually looking at the wrong sign. And so <laughs> I would spend like days on end walking a mountain, and I would find sheds, but there was no sign near them uh, because the the elk were migrating back up the mountain. So the sign we were seeing was too high for where the sheds were because the elk had been lower when they dropped. And uh, and so it was really kind of born out of frustration. It's like, wow, if I was just here when they were dropping, I would know where to look. So it's something. I incorporate it back into to deer, especially as I'm when I'm shed hunting. The number one thing I want to see is droppings, deer droppings. And then, second to that, is tracks. Obviously, you have to have tracks that have droppings, but I feel like when you see droppings in an area, deer are spending more time there. If you see right. consistent piles of droppings, uh, like again, in a food source, the more droppings there are, the more confident I am that deer are spending a lot of time there. They're not just passing through. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: Now I know a lot of shed hunting articles I've read over the years uh, have talked about, you know, checking fence crossings or, or ditches because, you know, in theory, a, a deer will jump the fence or jump the ditch and it jars the antlers loose. And, you know, it makes sense, but I don't know that I've ever actually found any antlers in those type of situations. So what, uh, what about you? You, ha- you have any success in those type of situations? I don't think I have. And I, in the early days, spent so much time walking
0: areas like that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like such a trap. You read an article and you're like, well, I want to find more sheds. Yeah. This person says walk a fence line and you find sheds. And then <laughs> next thing you know, you walk five miles or something, a fence line, and you had not found a shed. And um, I've done that, you know, and what I realized was, well, man, I've been walking for a half hour and hadn't seen a deer track. But wait, I have to have a deer track to find a shed. I don't have to have a fence. So... <laughs> um yeah i just completely look for deer sign and i don't pay any attention to that i at the end of the day if a deer spends more time in one area over another the shed is more likely to be there right and there's probably a lot more sophisticated ways to think about it but at the end of the day i i really just it comes down to deer sign and amount of sign for me and um and all you know all the sheds i found i don't think one any of them have been on a fence line I have found a few near creeks, but I don't believe any of them were from a deer having to jump a creek or anything like that. It was rather a deer walking the edge of a creek uh, or as a trail leading up to a creek because that's just where the deer were concentrated, you know, right.
1: crossing. So Now, I know where I'm at here in Georgia, you know, I do a ton of burning on public lands and and I always try to keep an eye out on the the WMAs here closest to me. You know, whenever they burn, I, I like to get in there. You know, soon after, and and look for sheds just because they they stick out like a sore thumb. You know, on that black background. Mm. Do you target burned areas at all, or do they do much burning where you're at there? So uh, I've this is the first year where I'm living somewhere with a
0: lot of burning, and or at least with access to properties where there's a lot of burning. Uh, in the past, I didn't really have an opportunity, so I haven't done much of it. Um, last year, I got the opportunity to walk a property that had been burned. A few weeks before and i found a shed in that burn um i don't think those two were related at all because there's actually spring green up was already happening and it was actually kind of tough to find that shed but uh here recently i went and i hit a burn that looked really good there was a lot of sun in it and i picked up a couple of sheds but that's it's actually something i'm hoping to um kind of to fine tune that this year by spending a lot of time in some burns um and talking to a friend of mine who's very very accomplished shed hunter especially in the southeast he you know he, he almost always finds over 100 every year uh, in south carolina and georgia uh, and he finds a lot in burns and his word of advice to me and i'll pass it on was don't walk a burn because it's a burn walk it because you only walk a a site that you would have walked even if it wasn't burned in other words right. there was already good deer sign and it was you know, a, a good area so Right. That's right. what I'm incorporating this year, but
1: I, I can't speak to it much. <laughs> now, do do any weather factors play into when you get out there and shed hunt as far as, you know, bluebird sunny day versus overcast day or you just get out there any any opportunity you get? Oh, yeah, I'm out there any day <laughs> I can. I,
0: I will not pass up a day. Now, if there were two days and I had a day of chores and then And an open day and one was going to be cloudy and one wasn't, I would go on the cloudy day. Absolutely. But, um, to me, if if I can go out there, I'm going to be out there and I found a lot of sheds in on really sunny days. And I promise you, I've missed a lot of sheds because of really sunny days. (laughs) And, uh, one comes to my mind last year, it was getting it towards spring. It was, I was in Indiana walking a cornfield and I was just walking a grid about every eight rows. I would walk a grid, walk a line. Because I couldn't see very far because of all the glare in the corn stalks. I had my sunglasses on. I had a hat pulled over my eyes, you know, and I was getting sunburned and had sunscreen on. <laughs> I'm just, you know, not the picture of like uh, what you think of with shed hunting. But anyway, found sheds that day. But when I, whenever I found them, I was about to step on them because I was so close with the corn stalk glare and everything. They were very tough to see. Um, yeah, cloudy. Honestly, a, real, a light rainy day when it, the leaves are soaked just makes it easier you can find them any day for sure yeah them them
1: corn stalks are tough they <laughs> a, they uh got the uh, a very similar color to those antlers they can uh, they can fool you for sure they do. yeah now h- how often will you go back to like these food sources you know you go out and check a food source this time of year don't have any luck or maybe you do maybe you find one or two will you hit those same food sources multiple times kind of throughout the, out the shed season, I guess you call it.
0: It, it kind of depends on what my cameras are telling me. Cause if I, if I know of a good food source and there's bucks on it, I will have a camera nearby mostly for that reason. Um, just so that I know if there's sheds to come back and look for. Um, so like for instance, last year I had a field where there was a bunch of different bucks over the course of several weeks during shed season, you know, maybe 10 or 12 antler, like two and a half or older kind of bucks, but they weren't consistent. Some would come, you know, some nights and then it would be a week or two and another one would come that kind of deal. And so as sheds started dropping, I started getting pictures of, um, half rack bucks and and those missing both antlers. I would walk that field and I ended up rewalking it because I had a couple other bucks show up later that had antlers and eventually shed, um, so that is kind of a you know a scenario where I would go back. But again, unless unless we're like in the middle of the shed drop and there's just a couple dropping every few you know every week, every couple of days, and I need to walk it often because there's a lot of other pressure, I'm just going to wait until the majority of have, have uh, shed walk it once and move on um, to somewhere new. Just because even if there's a shed or two out there, my odds are probably higher somewhere else if I can if I can find more deer at least.
1: Right. How are how important are good optics for your shed hunting? Do you carry binos with you and, and use them regularly, or? Yeah, I do. Um, and I feel
0: like I probably go sometimes. I'll, I'll walk a day or two without using them, and then other times I feel like I'm using them a lot. Uh, and you know sometimes I will glass fields. So, for instance, uh, like a cut bean field, I will I will glass a cut bean field because it's just so short and. And you can see a shed, and, and this has happened, where I've seen a shed from like 100 yards away that I, I would have easily missed with my eyes. And at that point, the binoculars really came in handy um, because I wasn't going to just walk in a wide open bean field if it didn't look like there's anything in it. So those are, I mean, that's kind of the situation where I'll use, use binoculars, um, at least for, for, for deer, you know. Um, it's real limited. But I always carry them with me just because, for me too, I mean... If you're out there, I'm going to be really kicking myself if like an eagle flies over or some ducks or, you know, I see a turkey or deer in the distance and I can't pull up binoculars and look at it because ultimately I'm out there to enjoy it. So
1: um, I always have them. Yeah. What I end up using mine more for than anything is, is that a stick, a rock or an antler over there? (laughs) And for me, it's always a stick when I do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Never, never the antler when you pull your binoculars up there. Yeah. Uh, do you, I'm curious. Do you keep track? How many miles do you typically walk on a in any given day on a shed hunt?
0: Yeah, I, I keep track. I don't have the average. I don't have an average per day. I have my total for every year. I always keep that, and I keep my dailies. But I haven't like my daily track. But I haven't um I haven't averaged it. If I had to guess, it's probably if we average every day, it's probably like four or five miles a day. The okay. days when I have all day to walk. I'm almost always doing 10 to 12 somewhere in there. It's like if I have daylight to dark and I can spend the day, that's what I'm doing.
1: But I get a lot of half days and hour here, hour there type deals. Right, right. So what's a, what's a season total? What, I mean, like, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, like last year, you know, how many miles you've walked total. I think it
0: was around 270. And the year before was real similar is within 10 or 20 miles of that. And, um, yeah, I was right around 270 and, uh, I want to say that I averaged a little over three miles per shed. And, and that's to me just like kind of a nerdy thing. I'm like, my goal as a shed hunter in five to 10 years would be able to graph out my average miles per shed and see <laughs> it slowly decline because I'm improving. There you go. But, but I don't know if that's actually a realistic thing because of course
1: there's other <laughs> factors like where you're walking, you know, in the days you have to walk. Right. Do you you ever spend much time or do do you ever go out just looking specifically for the the sheds of a certain buck? I mean, do you do you spend much time looking for a particular buck or are you just more out there, you know, finding what you can find?
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of a little bit of both. I always have a few bucks that I really want to find sheds to every year, but I also keep myself tell myself that i'm not going to just become obsessed with one buck (laughs) because every time i've ever done that it never works out and i end up spending the best days of shed season looking for the antler so um usually going into it there will be a couple spots like a couple properties where i want shed hunt and i know there's a few really good deer there so i'll put extra effort into those um, but usually not a lot past that last year i had one buck i really wanted to find the sheds from And I searched everything on that property that was, that felt right. So I didn't just grid the whole property. And that's something old me would have done. I would have gridded every ridge, every hardwood (laughs) ridge because they were out there. And, but I didn't do that. I just looked in the areas that felt right. They weren't, no sheds were there. I got permission to some private properties around there that looked good. Walked those spots, didn't find anything. And I just kind of pulled the plug and told myself, you're never going to find them. (laughs) move on. There's better sheds else, or sheds elsewhere. There weren't any better ones, but they were sheds elsewhere. So,
1: right. Yeah. His, his went to squirrel, squirrel child. <laughs> Squirrels got to eat too. Yeah, they do. Uh, how, how often do you find, actually find a matching set? Oh man, I, I, I actually went a long time without
0: finding one. Um, well, I should, I should reverse that. I found a few matching sets over the years That weren't near each other. But then two years ago was when I found my first ever set like next to each other, like side by side set. And for whatever reason, last year was like the year of side by side sets for me. I think I found six or seven um, that were laying right next to each other when I found them. And up to then, like I'd never had anything like that happen. Besides that, if I don't find them next to each other, it's amazing how tough it is to to match them up. I mean, almost every set I found last year, but maybe two or three were side by side sets. And uh, and then the rest of the sheds, I mean, a whole bunch of fresh sheds that I picked up multiple in the same field and the same woodlot and all. And they would be like, they're all from different deer. Like there was one there was one field I walked last year and I found sheds from, I think, anywhere from 10, 10 to 12 different bucks. And they were all right sides out of that field and I, I cannot tell you why I mean <laughs> who knows they were all right sides um and I gritted that field that's one of those ones I actually gritted a few on a few different occasions because I had first walked it during like in the middle of shed drop then I went back a few weeks later and found sheds from different deer all across the field but there again it was like the
1: the field of the right
0: sides and so yeah it's nice when they're side by side
1: yeah I mean, do you put much effort into when you just find a single shed do you put much effort into really trying to to find that other one around there or yeah,
0: I do. I I usually um I'll make loops. So you kind of think about an archery target or a spiral like uh getting farther and farther out from a point. I'll start where I found the first shed and I'll just I usually will make a circle and something like that again kind of walking what makes sense around it and concentrating on the best looking areas, but um Usually out to a hundred or a hundred and fifty yards kind of satisfies my itch that it isn't nearby. And if I don't find it there, then I kind of chalk it up to. Hopefully, I find it in the rest of my shed hunting on that property.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned a question I had down here. I wanted to ask you, and you you mentioned it there on the or at least that one particular field is. Do you have a tendency, looking back at all the sheds you found, to find one side more than the other? sound like Uh, the right side for at least that one trip but yeah (laughs) i've
0: had years where i felt like uh it was the year of this side or the other (laughs) i've definitely had what i want to do is when i'm whenever i get you know old enough that i'm not gonna be able to to find sheds anymore i'm gonna take all the sheds that i have lay them all out and then see what you know what the difference is between left and right (laughs) i'm probably just gonna really uh Really, just like upset my inner my inner self that wants things to like average out to be normal, you know. And it'll be like five to one right sides or something crazy <laughs> and annoy me forever. But
1: uh, yeah. then you'll then you'll be tasked with figuring out why why it's easier to
0: find right sides than left sides. Maybe I was a NASCAR <laughs> fan that always walked left. You know, I,
1: <laughs> that's not true. Oh, uh, so how how late? I guess how long do you continue shed hunting into the into the season? Is there a point? where you just kind of cut it off and move on to something else? Or? Yeah,
0: unfortunately, <laughs> um, I hate, and honestly, those are the worst days. But usually what happens is I have the best spots I've already exhausted about halfway through season. Then I start looking for more spots. Some of those pan out and some don't. And usually by about the time turkey season starts, I'm kind of getting to that point of frustration where I'm spending a lot of days without ever finding one because I'm just looking for new spots that kind of learn something for the future. Whenever it starts to get frustrating, that's usually when I stop cuz I mean that's not the point of it at the end of the day. But um usually it's right around beginning of April. Um late March to beginning of April is kind of when that happens and and that's usually a factor of vegetation's growing, it's getting green, so there's a lot less good places to look where I could actually see a shed. Um running out of good spots to walk and then the bugs start getting bad and and then again, it's like, yeah, it's time to pull the plug. Start thinking about deer <laughs> season.
1: <laughs> well, let, let's transition to uh another one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here is because I, I guess you were one of the first people that I ever heard about taking these shed hunting road trips, I guess. Basically like like anybody else would take a, a hunting trip, but you're going out there shed hunting. How did uh how did that kind of come about? Yeah, it uh it started A few years ago,
0: uh, a buddy of mine wanted to go out to California and Nevada and shed hunt for mule deer. And so we we planned that trip. And then I was like, well, if we're going to do that, let's just drive up to Indiana, Ohio and go shed hunt there first. Uh, We did that. We found sheds. And then every year since we've done something of the sort. Um, And so it's something now that's just kind of an annual tradition where I have weekends planned where I'm like, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to shed hunt. And basically, you know, it kind of gets back to the same thing we mentioned earlier. I just love walking new country and any excuse to do that is a lot of fun. So, um, usually what it starts out with is there'll be some public areas that I want to, I want to explore, you know, I want to understand more about, the lay of the land in case I ever want to hunt there, or maybe I have plans to hunt there, or, or maybe it's just more that I've never walked in. Like right now I've never walked in Kansas, never, never spent any time on that landscape. One of these days I want to go and do that. Uh, just to understand that uh, more aspects of the Kansas deer hunting, um, you know, what that's like. And so for instance, last year I did that with Wisconsin. I'd never been up there to to hunt, walked up there and spent, or didn't walk up there, drove up there, spent two <laughs> full days shed walk. hunting. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> I would have found some sheds on the way. I yeah. Bet you. I think um, so. And so I went up there with public areas that I wanted to shed hunt, which I did. And then some private areas where basically just knocking on doors, um, you know, hey, kind of introduce myself. Here's, here's my deal. I'm up to do this or whatever. Do you mind if I could shed hunt? Um, and so I, I do a little bit of both, and every year, new states uh, that we go to, my my buddy Kyle and I, the two of us that are really into this and have been doing these road trips together, each of us have a goal of finding sheds in every state someday. And so to that end, we always choose a new place to go to every year, so that we're not going to the same place. Um, you know we're not covering old ground, we're not finding sheds in the same state over and over. Um, so this year. For me, new states I want to hit are South Carolina, Maryland, Delaware, and maybe Virginia. Uh, And if I can get those, I'll be real content to have added three states to my total. And same for him. You know, he has some states on in addition to those that he'll hit. And we're both just kind of working towards a goal.
1: I got to I got to ask, how responsive are those private land hunters to to coming out or private land owners, I should say, to letting somebody shed hunt? Is it pretty? I mean, you had pretty good. Luck there? It's very mixed. Uh and I think
0: <laughs> it, I think it's really mixed regionally. And uh and it, it has to do with whether or not there's other people in the area doing the same thing. I've I've knocked on doors in, you know, in, in Mississippi and, and had some luck down there. Arkansas a lot tougher. Um in Wisconsin, I talked to a whole lot of farmers with a whole lot of acreage that they're you know, they, they could never walk all of it, but they still Still didn't want me to walk it because, you know, there's people that do it and and all that, which I get Um, totally understandable. Then I've been in other areas, you know, uh, Indiana, North Carolina, where I've I've knocked on doors and and people really, really don't care. Um, You know, of course, it depends on the landowner and past experience of theirs and everything. Um, But I've had I've had really good luck in some areas. And usually, in places where I live, where I'm local, and I already kind of understand a little bit about what's going on with the different properties, and I know where the deer are, I know where I need to ask, um, and have a little bit more of an in, but th- those permissions can come anywhere. It just, we usually works against me is I only have so many days or so much time on a trip, uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of it knocking on doors and driving around from house to house. So right. it gets kind of limited, but I've, uh, Last year, I found a lot of sheds on places where people just let me walk. Uh, I I couldn't go back and deer hunt. Uh, you know that would be a lot bigger ask, and I'm pretty sure I know what the answer would be. Um, <laughs> but they didn't mind someone picking up antlers out of their cornfield, so it didn't get in the planter tires. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, did did most of them understand what you were asking? Did you get any that were just like, you want to do what? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. You get those. They're like, wait, you do this, okay? Usually, honestly,
0: that's a good sign. Whenever I, someone asks me. They're like, whenever they're confused about what I do, and I have to explain it, I'm like, "Oh, this is great." They're going to let me do this because yes. they, they're like, "Okay,
1: well, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> so, how many how many states have you have you hit to this point? I think it's 18 right now. Okay, uh,
0: nice. I need to re- recount it. I think it's 18. Um, yeah, so I have I've got a lot of I've got all the Southwest uh, and some of the Southern states and a little bit of the Midwestern, but I have not touched New England or anything up the East Coast, North of North Carolina. So I got a lot of work to do to fill in the gaps.
1: You're going to save Hawaii for last?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> honestly, that one might come come sooner if I can talk uh, talk my significant other into going out there and saying, hey, we'll, we'll do a vacation. I just want to look for Uh-oh. some access
1: deer sheds. You know? There you go. We've already had those <laughs> preliminary talks. <you> know? <laughs> Planting the seed. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I would think that you would definitely want to uh, tie that one in with some type of you know, vacation or something. Yeah, uh, that would be a, a pretty extensive trip for uh, just to find some sheds. The the one that really
0: <laughs> gets me worried is Rhode Island, um, just because there's only so much land to walk in that state, and I haven't even looked at public land opportunities and all. So it's going to probably going to be a lot of knocking on doors and just begging, like, can I walk your 40 acres? I just want one and I'll be out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, uh, I mean, Rhode Island, I, I would assume, has probably got a good deer density. But, yeah, just whether or not there's much in the way of public land or or access. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah those northeastern states, I feel like, are going to be a little bit tougher just because of access. Um, there's tons of deer. Yeah, it's just finding the spot to do it with uh, cuz especially with a lot of the public land being big woods, uh, it's a lot tougher to get
1: get right, that figured yeah. out in a short amount of time. Yeah. Now, uh, on any of these trips, have, have you gone and shed hunted any of these spots and then been like, "Man, I'm going to come back here and and hunt this now?" You know, I haven't uh and I need to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually followed through on it. I have a few that I have told myself I will hunt this spot eventually. Like I I definitely will, but it hasn't actually come to fruition yet that I've, I've done it now locally near my house where I've lived in different places. That's happened several times where I shed hunted a spot and I realized just what the potential was of it. Then I went back and hunted it. Um, but not yet on a road trip.
1: Yeah. Now the, the cool thing or the thing that, I mean, really appeals to me about these shed hunting trips. And again, I didn't, think much about this till you wrote that article for us uh for quality whitetails but i mean they're they're really affordable i mean it's a just a really cool way to get out and see some new country and and you know scout if if you want to scout for a future hunting trip without spending a whole lot of money can can you kind of touch on that that aspect Mm -hmm. of it yeah so um of course the
0: biggest thing is that for the most part yeah you know you don't have to you don't have to get a hunting license or anything like that to go and shed hunt. Now, um, if you're doing it on public land, of course, you always got to look at the regulations for whatever public land you're going to be on, uh, especially state properties. And depending on the state, you may need to get a, a wildlife management area permit or something like that. So there can be some costs. Um, so I don't want to completely write that off. But for the most part, it's nothing like going hunting where you have to, you know, of course, get a hunting license and tags and there's a lot of overhead Pretty much just worried about fuel, um, getting yourself there, and uh, you know, food and lodging. For myself, I I love the camp, so it's a great opportunity to to camp in new spots. It's pretty much what I always do: pack a bunch of lunches, bunch of dinners, and I do it uh, super el cheapo. That is kind of the the whole the the, the whole goal with it is I just want to do it real cheap and, and enjoy it and. And ultimately the whole point is just to spend a whole bunch of time outside. So what better way to do that than to camp and not go to the restaurant or anything, just spend it outdoors. So that really cuts yeah. down on costs. Um, but of course, you know, if you're staying in a hotel, it's going to rack up a little bit more of a cost. Uh, if you're eating out that comes with a lot more cost when it comes down to, you know, say cost per an antler, it's not that efficient. Um, but when it comes down to how much land you get to explore and how much you get to learn uh, in the potential, it's, it's there, you know, depending on where you go, what I really enjoy about it is if you're walking a property, you have no idea what's on that property. I mean, you could find the biggest shed of your life, um, could be around any corner. Yeah. And so that's kind of the pull for me uh, to some of these areas is that I just don't know what could be there. And, and a lot of times it ends up working out that I can usually pull at least one shed out of a spot. Um, and and I've had some spots where I got into them and I hit it just right and I kind of connected some dots and really got onto some sheds. Um, it's just you know it can be some sometimes kind of mixed. But if if you go into it with the mindset that like you're shed hunting to spend time outdoors, learn about a new property, see deer, learn what they're doing, and you never know what kind of sheds you'll find. You'll have the time of your life. Like that, that, that's the best part about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's no different than going on a DIY out of state hunting trip. I mean, you don't go out expecting to bring home a deer every time or a turkey every time or whatever, whatever you happen to be chasing. But you know, it's more about the experience and, like you said, just getting to see some some new territory and and have a new experience. So yeah, anything, whether it's coming home with a deer or coming home with some shed antlers, it's uh, that's just the icing on the cake, really. For sure. Yeah. And you know, if
0: if you're a deer nerd, it's the ultimate way to really learn more about the different landscapes that whitetails call home. Um, You know, it's just incredible. You can drive down the road through different states and you can see differences between forests of one state and another just the general landscape and topography. But not until you really get out and walk. Can you fully appreciate the differences between the two um, all the way from the coast and the bottomlands uh, where white tails call home to the northern midwest I mean there's so much in between two um, and it I, I, you know I can't can't relay enough the amount of confidence um, and just familiar, familiarity you can develop from spending a lot of time in those areas and that can translate of course into hunting success if you ever find yourself in that situation again uh, as well and then On the other side, if you're um, really enthusiastic and adamant about habitat management for deer or just overall habitat use by deer and you want to understand more about it, there is no better way, in my eyes, to at least understand winter habitat use by deer than walking. They're just walking the landscape, shed hunting, and looking for sign. It's pretty incredible how quickly you can start connecting the dots and learning some things Um, really opening things sometimes it's, you know, looking at browse pressure on different plants, you'll realize, wow, you know, I never had any appreciation for this, this plant here, but deer are just, you know, they're devouring it right now. And in January, they're really eating this, um, they're really concentrated in this bedding area here on this Hill really can start connecting some dots there. So I think for the enthusiastic deer nerd, like there's, there's just so many pros, um, to branching out, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and going somewhere new and and just spending some time, you know think about it like you're just learning you're a student of the deer, finding sheds, learning about the new landscape, like everything it's just it's it's so
1: appealing, and it's pretty much free like we covered <laughs> yeah that that's a great point, and man it it just gets me wanting to I, I'm wanting to start expanding and hunt more of the states here around me in the south and you know what? What a great opportunity to get out there this time of year and and just start exploring some of those places. You know, like you said, affordably, and just learning learning the areas and and the territory. And uh, like I said, if you can find some sheds along the way, then that that's just a bonus. But yeah, yeah, it's you, definitely something I need to need to start doing more of. Yeah, and uh, I
0: mean, with the shed too. I mean, you can put together a pretty cool story if, uh, especially if you have the opportunity to go back and hunt. You might be able to cross paths with that deer again, or if nothing else, um, there's really no better way that to know the potential for a spot and the capacity for it to grow big deer than finding a good shed on that, that spot. It really gives you a leg up and some extra intel going into the next year. And it might be enough to push you over the edge Just say, hey, I, I do need to buy that South Carolina license or that <laughs> Alabama
1: license and go hunt that WMA. Yeah. Now, you've already touch, touched on this some. Um, especially when you're talking about, you know, knocking on doors to get permission, it's kind of surprising to me. But obviously you're seeing some some competition out there while shed hunting. Does that seem to be a, a kind of a growing trend? Uh, it
0: it definitely happens. You know, I don't know if how much of it's a growing trend. Um, probably would need someone who's who's been doing it a lot longer to really be able to to put a finger on it. Um I mean I've been shed hunting, you know, now. Really consistently for the last ten years, and um, only in the last few years, really branched out into public land a lot. But I, you know, I do see a lot of pressure out there, especially in the Midwest. The time that I spent in um, Kentucky and even Missouri a little bit, but Kentucky, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, I've seen a lot of consistent pressure from people shed hunting, uh, even on the public areas. Um, I think. You know, there there is some popularity there. I don't know if it's always been there, or if it if it is a growing trend, which I I wouldn't be surprised in that either. Uh, in the South, I haven't always, you know, I haven't uh, I haven't consistently seen pressure. There's I found some spots in the South where they're shizzling and you know, even in in open like wheat field food plots for a long time, you know, for for weeks on end it seems before I found them. Uh, in those places, I I don't think there's any shed hunting pressure, uh, but in other places. Yeah, I, you know, with, on trail cameras, I see pictures of, of folks coming through shed hunting. Um, I run into people. I know there's folks that do it, um, and it probably becomes becoming more and more popular. Uh, and you know, and one thing I would say with that is, um, you just kind of have to adapt. Like we talked about earlier with food sources, if you're on, especially a green field like a, a wheat field, a clover plot. If there's going to be anyone shed hunting anywhere that's where they're going to go because it's the most obvious starting point so you know don't be too discouraged by that um it can still be a great tip that if you get there hey you know there's a lot of sign here but there's a lot of boot tracks the deer are there they're spending time elsewhere around there so you can kind of work backwards like we've talked about so it's not the end of the the world or the end of your shed hunting if someone's been there um you just kind of have to adapt and of course Some of the sheds are going to be gone, but that's fine. (laughs) If it's, if it's public land, it's there for everybody. So,
1: yep, that's right. You know, I don't guess, which I I don't do near as much of it as you do, um, but I enjoy shed hunting and and have been doing it for a while. And I've never, I guess I've never in Georgia here, I've never ran into anybody actually in the field. um, But I, obviously I see the signs that, that people are out there and I know people get out there uh, like I do and, and hit these WMAs. Uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely happens. But, you know, there's certainly ones out there to be found. And sometimes you find ones that have been out there for a year or two. So, you know, oh, they yeah. were obviously overlooked. You know, also to that point, uh, it's kind of what we talked about earlier with the
0: Auburn study. Even if uh, there's a lot of folks that have shed hunted an area, I, I really do believe if you really put the effort into it, there's probably more sheds to be found. And I haven't cracked that code completely either. Um, but just because easy ones are picked up does not mean there's no more sheds out there. There's there's always sheds to be found. And I, I think there's no better way to get that appreciation than walking a spot and then walking it again and finding sheds that you missed the first time because that's happened to me so many times. And it'll tell oh, me, yeah. yeah, I think I have a good eye and everything. And then um, then you walk it and there's an old shed laying there that you know, half buried in the mud, but sticking up there. And you're like, well, yeah, I know I walked by that the last two years. So, yeah, it happens to other people, too.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know if this is a great tip or not, but I know one thing I, I try to do on these public land food plots is a lot of times I'll I'll hit them on like a Friday. Mm-hmm. That way, if any is dropped during the week, I can I can get there before the, the weekend guys get out there to look. Yeah. For them. <laughs> Uh don't know if that's helping mods any or not, but uh, that's, that's one thing I do try to do is, is hit them before the weekend. Yeah, I, I've used that same mentality
0: before, and then I realized there were people hitting it on Friday, just like me. Yeah. So then I was or like, oh, I'll do it. On th- <laughs> th- then I went on Thursday, but then the other day I went on a Monday and I ran into somebody. So I was like, I just don't even know anymore. Yeah, there <laughs> There's you go. people out here all <laughs> the time. Just go when you can them. go, I
1: guess is the <laughs> the bottom line. But, yeah. 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 Now, I, I got to ask, and I'm, I'm guessing probably some of the listeners are wondering, uh, w- what do you do with all these sheds that you collect? Oh, I, I collect them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've got a um, you know, the cabinets over the stove and, and, and you know, in the kitchen in there. We have space up above it. So I have my favorites all laid out up there where you can see them. I've got my absolute favorite like sets on a bookshelf um, on display. And then I have a. It's now. It's more of a stack. It used to be a little, a little shed tree, like a three foot high shed tree, with the other quality ones I have, and then I have three or four boxes of chalky and chewed up sheds just in storage in the shed, uh, you know, in in the barn out back um, that I'm not going to do anything with, but I can't bring myself to get rid of them. So (laughs) they're sitting. I can't throw them out, so I'm I'm letting them sit there because I put work into them. uh, Yeah, I just
1: collect them. That's funny because I've been trying to uh you know we just moved in moved into this house a little over a year ago yeah. and i'm trying to get the, the basement all organized now eventually that's going to be my office and man cave down there but i got you know like a big box of sheds and deadheads and stuff and and i know i need to throw them out but i'm like yeah i'm like i just can't it's like they're they're sacred or something <laughs> i just yeah. can't by myself to, to throw them away oh i don't know yeah. what it is about
0: them but it could be uh like a chewed up femur bone or, you know, some other part of a deer skeleton laying out there. And I couldn't, I couldn't care less. But if it's a shed, it doesn't matter how chewed (laughs) up and chalky it is. If I find it and it's a shed, I'm going to pick it up.
1: Yep. Every time. Now, are you, do you mark them or catalog them in any way? Do you know where all these different sheds have come from or? Or you just look yeah. at them and, join and enjoy them?
0: <laughs> I, uh, I don't mark them. I, I can't bring myself to do that either. I've seen, so this is, I've seen people will take a marker and write on the pedicle. Um, they will write, you know, around the bottom of the pedicle, the date, where it's found or whatever. And my favorite part of a shed is actually the pedicle. I'm just completely just so impressed and blown away every time I look at an antler pedicle and think about the process of that shed um, falling out that deer's head and, and how that used to be, you know, the solid point connecting it to the, the, the deer's head. So I love, I love like a bright white, fresh pedicle. So I cannot mark them. Uh, and I, I don't want to mark the size of them either. So I, my favorite ones. I just, I could tell you where I found any of them. I could take you right back to the spot. The more chewed up ones that I've had for a while, or the really small chewed up chalky ones. I, I couldn't tell you anymore. Uh, and I don't mark them. I just throw them in the box. Um, storage box but all anything of any that is you know over a two-year-old deer anything with any kind of character or any kind of uniqueness to it or any fresh shed that was that year's drop i could take you right to the spot just just by looking at it
1: yeah you don't have to make you a big uh antler christmas tree like we used to have in the uh, national deer association's uh headquarters there that's the <laughs> dream <laughs> which they actually i I just seen pictures yesterday. They actually mo- just moved that to the, uh, wonders of wildlife museum there. The Johnny Morris's wonders of wildlife museum in, in Missouri. So they, yeah, they moved that, the, the deer antler tree. It's super cool. And, uh, I, I'm glad it's going to live forever there. And,
0: and, I hope someday I can build my own. It's actually like a full size Christmas tree and not like a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. That's what I have now. It's like a (laughs) three foot, three foot tall, uh, lopsided shed tree. But hey, uh, it gives me something to shoot for. Yeah, you you got to start somewhere.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I guess we'll just kind of wrap this up with what what advice would you give someone who's maybe never shed hunted and they'd like to get out? get out there this year and and give it a try for the first time? What's just kind of, I guess a a couple of key takeaways that you would, you would give them to help them improve their odds of success. Oh, I would say first off,
0: do everything you can to find where there are bucks spending time in winter. Um, You can do that based off of just the amount of deer sign you see and, you know, historical buck sign like rubs, um, Obviously, the best thing is if you have trail cameras or you see them with your own eye and you see a bachelor group using an area. Um, But by far, the most important part of shed hunting is knowing that there are bucks frequenting the spot where you're going to be spending time shed hunting. Once once you're in a spot where there's bucks, it just I mean, you know, I'd say it makes it 100 times easier, but like it's the one ingredient that is necessary. Um, And so that's the biggest thing. Find where there are bucks from there um you want to key in on where they're spending the most time you know so that's probably going to be wherever you're seeing them um wherever they're feeding and then trying to find some some thick cover nearby where they may be bedding and connecting the dots and just spending some time looking for antlers at you know between those spots and really that's pretty much all there is to it um i say there's a lot of art or you know maybe not even art maybe it's just you, you get gut feelings the more you do it but you, the more antlers you find, the more time you spend looking for them, um, which is different from deer hunting in some ways. It, it's not as easily translated as, as some might think just just from deer hunting for several years. Doesn't always mean you're going to find a bunch of sheds right away because the difference is, is you're looking for sheds at a very small scale. So you have to develop the eye for them. And the other thing is sometimes you're you're actually spending your your time and effort in areas you would never deer hunt um open fields you know right next to the road i found a shed last year 30 yards off of the the white line of a public road you know i there was a car driving by i waited till it passed before i picked it up but i want to <laughs> see someone see, see me pick it up I'm right there on the you know, in pu- on public land um where anyone could be you know so th- there's little nuances to it y- you will find yourself shed hunting spots you might not ever think you you would deer hunt um but just trust the sign trust what the deer are telling you with their tracks and droppings. And if you're in a spot where there's bucks, you'll pick
1: up sheds eventually. Yeah. it I mean, it sounds so, so much just like common sense to hear you say it, but there's so many years that, uh, you know, I was strictly, I'm out there shed hunting in places that I had trail pictures, trail cam pictures of bucks during season or where the deer were bedding during the season. and, you know, looking back, there there probably wasn't fresh sign there. You know, I was I was shit hunting in an area where the deer were no longer using uh, just because I was relying on old information. So I think you hit the nail on the head there. The key, the key is looking where the deer are now. And, yeah, that's uh, a
0: that's a great point. It kind of gets back to you asked about looking for specific bucks. I can think back to several times where there was a big buck. I you know I was on camera all during season. But man, you can spend all the time you want looking where he was, but it sure doesn't do any good when it comes to looking where the sheds might be. Um, no. And it's the most frustrating thing when it's like, well, I know this deer's here, you know, he's alive, but he left a month before sheds drop. There's no finding the sheds. I don't know where they are. They're on someone else's place and I can't do anything about it. So just got to move on.
1: Yep. Well, good deal. i I right appreciate your time today. I enjoyed it as always and uh I'll definitely be looking forward to to seeing your your shed hunting success pictures come across my social media feed there. So I ho- <laughs> hope you have a, a great shed season. Well, I appreciate it. you too, Brian. I'm I'm very
0: uh honored to be guest the the, the first recurrence.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You had to get like, like a, a bad track. dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah well like I, said, I, I couldn't think of anybody uh, a more die-hard shed hunter than yourself so i thought it was worth uh worth getting you back on here and uh i, I think i think i was spot on because i uh, you had a lot of great information here and hopefully the listeners will will get a lot out of it and maybe find a few sheds of their own this year hope so hope everyone has a good shed season it's Best time of the year, in my opinion. <laughs> there you go. You thought it was the rut, but it's right now. Find those sheds. No, the rut is frustrating. <laughs> it's, it's, it's chalked
0: up to be more than it ever ends up being for me. <laughs> that's coming from someone who is not
1: a good rut hunter, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've had my share of struggles during the rut, too. Uh, yeah. I love the thought of the rut, but yes, it doesn't. It rarely works out as, as I hope. Mm. Yeah, that's what, one thing about shed hunting. It For the most part...
0: You kind of get out of what you put into it, and yeah. that's something that makes it a lot of fun. The more time and effort and you know, boot leather you put into it, the more sheds you generally find at the end of the day, as long as you do it in a smart way.
1: All right, guys, that concludes our interview with Mariah Boggess. Uh Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You, know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts. Google podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to, uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there, uh, or you can just go to deerassociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it. If you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review, you know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there for more information about the national deer association. You can visit our website again at deerassociation.com. from there. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter you can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show. To get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free nda hat so be sure to take advantage of that and uh hey just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots habitat improvement um, deer management you name it uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related we got some good content right there on our website available to you so check that out and of course you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms facebook instagram twitter and youtube at deer association so again thanks for listening to the deer season 365 podcast the podcast where deer season never ends